good, good morning. Good to see you in the house, especially on a winter day. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's warm inside. My goodness. That, that's, I don't know. I, I love it when the weather changes, but like I got to see some sunshine at some point. Would somebody help me preach? That's just, that's just my own little personal thing right there. Um, you know, <clears throat> when our son, Joe, was in seventh grade, he and his two best friends were playing football for their school. And one day I went to pick them up after practice, and I, I pulled up in my truck, and they climbed in, and Joe got in the front seat with me, and his two buddies got in the back seat, and, and they were in the middle of a really heated conversation. At first, I thought they were like kind of in a fight with each other, but I found out that they were just having a discussion because that day at practice, they had discovered that some of their teammates had fathers who had played college football. They had played college football, and even a couple, I think, played in the NFL. And so they got in the car, like, man, that is so unfair. No wonder they're already shaven. Their dad played in the NFL, blah, blah, blah. And they were talking, you know, kind of lamenting the fact that their friends had matured physically before they had and had kind of an unfair advantage in football. And I let them kind of go for a little while and vent, but finally there was a lull in the conversation. And I just said the following. I said, guys, you just need to understand a law of the universe. You'll never outrun genetics. That's just, that's just a fact. You can work, you can practice, but genetics, they're kind of an undeniable advantage. And they all kind of nod and go, yeah, but it's not really fair. And then the conversation died down again. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye, Joe looking across the front seat at me. That's not the punchline. <laughs> Joe looks over at me and he goes, thanks a lot. <laughs> it was really very hurtful, but he was right. While I couldn't give him NFL genes, he did get the cowlicks on the back of my head that I have. I mean, so he's got that going for him. You know, in the same way that biological parents pass down DNA to their children, we human beings are the recipient of spiritual DNA from our heavenly Father. We are the recipients of a DNA that is imprinted in our soul just as surely as physical DNA passes down hair color or height, freckles or facial structure. We are recipients of the nature and the character of God. You are created, I was created in the image of God. And the Christian faith begins with the assertion that God is love. That, that God is before, during, and after everything. God is relational. He was relational before he created you and me for relationship. He was relational unto himself. There was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, three in one one in three, it's a phenomenal mystery, but it's reality. It is truth. God is relational. He is love. And as a result of the fact that we're created in his image, you and I are hardwired for community. We are hardwired for connectedness to God and to each other. It's part 
of what God has done in his grace in creating human beings in his image alone amongst all of creation. Now, there are other species that connect and bond, some that even mate for life and, and others that have herds and tribes that stay together, but human beings, humanity connects on a level like no other part of God's creation. We, we are hardwired for this, and it's, it's a part of who we are, but it's also a part of our calling as followers of Christ. In John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said the following. He said, your love for one another will prove to the world you are my disciples. Your love for one another, the way you and I love each other as followers of Christ, that is to be the hallmark, that's the trademark by which the rest of the world will know we are truly followers of Christ. Not how many times a month we go to church, not how many times we perform some man-made ritual of religion, but the way that we love each other the way that we connect with one another. And this gift of one another is one of the primary things that God uses as he grows us, as he develops us. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been in this series called Skill Set, Getting Good at Growth. We're looking at, at the art form of becoming, in every way, more and more like Christ. And the gift of one another is one of the primary tools that God uses to chisel away the extraneous, to chip away the stuff that we don't need, the stuff that would keep us from becoming more like Christ. And he does this within this gift of one another, within this, this community, this thing called the church. The church is this divinely ordained humanly flawed family of faith that we're adopted into the second we come into a relationship with Christ. And it is within this divinely ordained, humanly flawed institution that God does some of his most profound work. Now, I do realize that church, in general, is a loaded term. It's loaded depending on your background, your experience, your, your past. And some people have come out of some really, really horrific experiences in church. And, and I do understand that, and I don't want to minimize that in any way. But I do want to say this. It's not the church that wounds. It's flawed human beings within the church that wound. It's not the institution itself. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Don't eliminate the institution because some people were flawed. Some people were maybe toxic. Some people were maybe damaging. Put the blame where the blame belongs, but remember the gift of one another. Jesus calls us, this calling of Christ is radical in all of human history. When Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he altered the course of human history. Prior to this calling, prior to the birth of the church, the course of human history was marked by competition and combat. Right, might makes right, and the survival of the fittest. 
But Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 I'm, I'm calling you out and I'm calling you up to something much, much different, something much, much better, something richer, something fuller than you've ever imagined before. And it starts with love. It starts with this connectedness that you were created for, this community that you yearn for. You know, Sebastian Younger is an author and a filmmaker, and out of his experiences being embedded with combat troops in Afghanistan, he wrote a book called Tribe on homecoming and belonging. And, and he kind of traces the arc of human history and our need for connectedness, our need to be developed. And one of the findings that Younger details in this book is that the more progress we make culturally, technologically, the more difficult connectedness actually becomes. This is what he writes. He says, the accumulation of personal property allowed people to make more and more individualistic choices about their lives, and those choices unavoidably diminished group efforts toward a common good. As society modernized, people found themselves able to live independently from any communal group. Now, numerous cross-cultural studies have shown that modern society, despite its nearly miraculous advances in medicine, science, and technology, is afflicted with some of the highest rates of depression, schizophrenia, poor health, anxiety, and chronic loneliness in human history. As affluence and urbanization rise in a society, rates of depression and suicide tend to go up rather than down. Rather than buffering people from clinical depression, increased wealth in a society seems to foster it. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. <laughs> now, Younger comes at this from, from an atheist perspective, from a cultural observer perspective. But I got to tell you, his observations have the ring of truth, don't they? Don't we? We kind of look at that and instinctively just know, yeah, that's, that's what we see. That's, that's what we experience. We're, we're living that out in this moment. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is that the flip side of this reality is where our greatest opportunity lies. In 1938, Harvard University began a groundbreaking study that continues even to this day. In 1938, they began to study 278 Harvard sophomores, 19-year-old men. That was what was at Harvard in 1938. This is in the throes of the Great Depression. And they began to interview these men. They studied their lives. They looked at their families of origin. They interviewed their parents, looked at what they were studying. And then they kept track and kept tabs on these men across the years. The study, as I said, still continues to this day. Now, in order to add a little diversity to their sample size, they also began studying this in the same way some of the most economically impoverished, challenged young men in the city of Boston, people from the, the toughest neighborhoods in Boston, so that they could compare and contrast their findings. Some of these people in, in both groups went on to become doctors and lawyers. Some were bricklayers. One even became the president of the United States of America. 
but their findings were absolutely staggering. As they studied these lives over the course of more than 80 years, they found that the number one commonality of those who were the healthiest physically and the happiest emotionally had nothing to do with cholesterol rates or heart disease history in their families. It was those who reported the most satisfaction in their social connections. It was the healthiest relationships that created the healthiest lives longer. As one recent director of this study has noted, they found that relationship keeps us healthier and happier longer and isolation kills. This, this is who God created us to be. We're created for relationship. In that same Harvard study, they also noted a correlation between poor health, earlier cognitive decline with isolation and loneliness. More than one in five Americans will experience and report loneliness at some point in their lives. You see, this, this need that we have, this, this hunger that goes to the very soul of who we are, is something that's a gift from God. It's this gift of one another that Jesus calls us to, this gift of one another that we so desperately need, but so many forces in our world and in our culture are tearing us away from. We have to get back to this thing, this, this one another-ness. You know, this happened a few years ago. I, I was in the middle of a sermon, and I just made the statement in this sermon that I am naturally an introvert. That's what I said. I said, when I, when I get tired, when, I get, when my tanks are empty, I just need to be by myself to recharge. I, I said it and moved on. Well, it was just a few nights later as a family, we were having dinner together, and Emily said, hey, remember that time dad said he was an introvert? <laughs> yeah, like, you remember, and then they all just started piling on. Yeah, like at the beach when he started talking to those strangers in the surf about where they were having dinner that night and how they needed to try this pizza joint. Oh, yeah, remember, and also he'll talk to the, like our servers in a restaurant, just tell them, I'm so happy right now, like they really care. And it just went on and on and on. They just, they just kept piling on. Now, mockery aside, they were right. I completely missed, I was completely sincere when I said I was an introvert. I was just sincerely wrong. I love people. I like talking to people. I like starting conversations with people I've never met before. Have you ever been in a grocery store and somebody starts talking to you and you wish they wouldn't? I'm that guy. <laughs> Sue me. I, that's, that's just how God wired me up. It's not a good or a bad thing necessarily. It can be a bad thing. There are times when I, I've, I've started a conversation with a complete stranger, and I see Julie out of the corner of my eye do this. And I'm like, okay, duly noted, this doesn't need to go on for 30 minutes. But the gift of one another helps us with self-awareness, doesn't it? That, that's one of the things that God uses to teach us who we are and how we actually operate versus who we think we are and how we wish we operated. The gift of of one another. But how do, you, how do you take full advantage of this gift? How do you, how do you live this out? Because I, I think, I, I hope and I pray that 
I don't have to just use Harvard statistics and this researcher and that researcher to convince you we need this connectedness. I, I think it's kind of self-evident and, and apparent, I, I hope and I pray. But what's not so self-evident is how do we do it? What, what, is it, what does it look like to actually be people who are one anothering, who are connecting, who are truly doing life together in a very, very real and profound, transparent kind of way. And we need to understand there are different degrees of connectedness. With, with, with my wife, Julie, there is no daylight between us. There, there's, there, are, there are no secrets. There, there are no passwords that she doesn't need to see. That's, that's mine. We, we share bank accounts. We share a house, we share a life, we share each other, we share it all because that's the closest human relationship I will ever have. I'm not doing that with you, <laughs> to which you should say thank you. I'm not sharing all of that with you. I will tell you maybe that I do have challenges. I, I face temptation just like you do, but I'm not going to go into the nitty and the gritty of, of everything in my life. I'm going to be authentic with everybody. I'm the same when I'm here as I am when I'm at home or if I'm out to dinner or getting a cup of coffee with you. I'm authentic with everyone, but we need to be transparent with a precious few. We need to be so wise so discerning about who we share our hearts with, who we share our dreams with, who we share our lives with, that needs to be a very, very short but powerful, powerful list. So how do we do it? Number one, it begins with gathering together. Just gather together. Be around one another. The book of Hebrews chapter 10 says this, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let's not neglect gathering. Don't, don't, don't sleep on the significance of the gathering, of face-to-face of -face communication, hanging out, talking to one another. It, it may be just talking about the horns won the horns, <sighs> and the cowboys, who cares? <laughs> I told Julie, this, this year is the first time in my 56 years of life on this planet that I genuinely don't care about the cowboys. I made the decision in August, they were done hurting me. <laughs> and so I don't care. I really don't. If they win, that's fine. I don't wish anything ill against them. I think Dak's a great guy. I think he's a decent quarterback. I, I think whatever, but I don't care. Can I tell you how much richer and fuller my life is? We, but when we gather together, now, and, and please hear me when I say, if you're watching online today, we love you. We do. And online, thank God we had it during a global pandemic. Thank God we had that way to stay connected in a way. But online, remember, online is a great supplement and a terrible substitute. 
If, if Julie and I conducted our marriage online, that would create a great deal of frustration, a great deal of distance that's unnecessary. Nothing replaces this. Nothing replaces eye-to-eye, face-to-face contact. And so gathering together is a big deal. I have the privilege on serving on the board of directors for a, another church in a different part of the country. And I'll never forget this conversation. It was like a light went off when we were in the middle of a discussion about their church like our church coming back from the pandemic and what it was going to be like, what it was going to look like. And one of the members of their board has been a member there for a long, long time, committed, loves that church. And he made the following comment in the middle of our board meeting. He said, you know, I have to be honest. I kind of like doing church at home. And I remember looking at Julie about two weeks into the pandemic and going, I could get used to church in my PJs. That's a good thing. To a point. He said, but then this guy continued. He said, I get the same thing out of the message if I watch it at home as if I'm in the room. And we all kind of nodded knowingly and said, yeah, I, I get that. And, and that part of it is true to a point. But have you ever, you ever had this happen like an hour and a half or two days later? You think, why didn't I say this? I had that moment. And I realized If getting something out of the experience is all there is to it, do it online. That's great. But what about being a part of something? What about about lifting your voice in worship and praise with other people? What about contributing to something and being a part of it with other people at the same time in the same place? It's not the same. So, yes, we can get the same thing out of it, but we cannot put the same thing into it online as we can in person. And so gathering together is really kind of the beginning of this one-anothering. It's, it's where it starts. The second thing, we gather together, but number two, we grow together. We grow together. Proverbs 27, 17, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Kind of like I shared with you that story about my family mocking me at the table when I called myself an introvert. In a very real way, that was good-natured, and the stakes weren't really high, but in a very real way, they were sharpening me. They were kind of like, hey, Dad, you're clueless when you call yourself an introvert. Julie just nodding. She loves it when the kids call me on stuff she doesn't have to. Iron sharpens iron. We need each other if we're going to grow. Spiritual growth happens in community. Spiritual growth happens intergenerationally where older generations, spiritually and physically, lead younger generations. Younger generations infuse older generations with life and hope and joy and and, and energy. And, And together, Iron sharpens iron. We we get better at it. People who are more mature than I am spiritually can come along and say, Mac, I think you're you're misinterpreting. I think you're missing something here. What about 
this that, that I've experienced, that I've lived through, that I've learned. And we grow together. That, that's the beauty of, of Bible studies with other people. That's the beauty of, of groups with people that you, you get to know them. It takes some time. It takes, certainly takes an effort. But, but you get to know them. I've watched an unbelievable dynamic take place, particularly through the ministry of Fearless Mom. Fearless Mom has, has a group of seasoned moms, veteran moms, who lead the younger moms. And these seasoned moms, they're, they're following what the Bible says in Titus chapter 2. They're, they're leading, they're mentoring, they're discipling these younger moms. But it happens over time. It happens spending time together. I think it was back in the 70s when the idea or the notion of quality time really kind of took root in our culture, that, that you could have quality time even though you weren't around each other very often. And it was particularly used for parents who worked outside of the home, and those things happened, but we've since come to understand that quality time flows out of quantity time. You get the quality time, the depth of relationship, because you have spent quantity time together. And not all quantity is going to be deep water quality, but it's out of that quantity that you're going to discover the quality. And it's, it's out of those things that we grow together. We grow when we come to Christ, when we come to Scripture and learn together. So we gather together, we grow together. Number three, we serve together. 1 Peter chapter 4, most important of all. Think about that. Now this is Peter writing. Peter, the first pastor, the one upon whom Jesus said he would build his church. He says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other for love covers a multitude of sins. Isn't that the truth? If you know somebody loves you, if you know somebody has your best interest at heart, you, you'll excuse a lot. You, you'll let some things, you'll, you'll extend some grace. Love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts Use them well to serve one another. Above all, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to talk to an anthropologist. And this anthropologist is not a believer in Christ, but we were having a fascinating conversation, and he was sharing with me, kind of the, talking about humans need to connect and how we share that with other primates and, and other animals in the animal kingdom. And as our conversation proceeded, it, it began to dawn on me that there was, there was a question that I had that I hadn't thought of before the conversation. And so I just asked him, I said, you know, I'm a pastor, and so I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I believe God is love. All love comes from God. Tell me, from your perspective, as a strict evolutionist, science, scientifically, how do you account for love, scientifically? And he said, well, that's a, that's a great question, and I appreciate the way you asked it. He said, he goes, honestly, it, it comes from our need to survive because 
Back when we were threatened by saber-toothed tigers and other tribes that were stronger than our tribe, it was this bonding together that gave us the ability to survive and to live. We needed each other. And so we developed the ability to generate oxytocin. Oxytocin, of course, is a hormone that is responsible for a lot of the connecting feelings and emotions that we have, everything from trust and sexual desire to cuddles and, and everything else. That's why oxytocin is known as the cuddle hormone. And he said this was developed over millennia in us, and it's what binds us together. I said, okay, I appreciate your explanation. When I hung up the phone with him, I thought, there is something really unsatisfying about that. Are, are you trying to tell me that the love of a mother for her child that she has just given birth to is solely the product of chemical reactions? Are you trying to tell me that a father who would give his life for his children is solely the function of hormonal responses within his hypothalamus? Or are you trying to tell me that love is strictly science manifesting itself in, in kind of that, that warm, fuzzy feeling that we get? I have to tell you, scientifically, I don't buy it. Scientifically, that breaks down for me. It, it, love is too powerful a force, too undeniable a need to be explained away chemically. God is love, and he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. This serving together binds us together. When you use your gifts in and through the church, I use my gifts in and through the church, that connects us, that unites us around a common theme, a common goal, which is the advancement of God's good news. Serving together is more than just oxytocin. Loving together is more than just oxytocin. Gather together, we grow together, we serve together. Number four, we're spurring the horse to the barn now. We live together. We, we live together. We do life. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. Grow to maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. These are Paul's final words to the church at Corinth. Be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other. You know, the passage that we started with when Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Some translations will say, have love for one another by this the world will know you are my disciples. You see, love is a choice. It's not a feeling. You choose to love people. You choose to love people even when they're unlovable. You choose to have love. You, you have it ready to go because you have chosen to love them. Jesus 
Jesus set this whole thing up before he ever said, the world will know you by your love for one another. Look at what he said in verse 34. In verse 34, he said, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Just as I have loved you. Well, how did, how did Jesus love us? Well, he became one of us. He showed up. Quantity time. He, he spent time here on earth. The word became flesh. But he gave his life. He sacrificed himself for you, for me. He, he's the one who said, greater love has no one than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. That's the height. That's the depth. That's the breadth of love. That's how much he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. If you're here today or maybe you're watching online and you have never taken hold of that eternal life, of that forgiveness, we want to invite you to do it right now. To begin a relationship, to begin connecting, being connected to God. If that's you this morning, then you pray. Whether you're in the room or you're online, you pray something like this and just say, silently from your heart to God's, just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And so I confess my sin to you, all of it, holding nothing back in order to receive your forgiveness, your grace, your life. And Lord, in exchange for your life given for me, I give you my life. I will follow you. I know it won't be perfect, but I will follow you from this moment forward. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If that was your prayer, then the Bible says that in that second, in that moment, you were adopted into the family of faith. And so as a church, we want to help with the moments that follow. In just a moment, we'll explain kind of how that's done. But if you would right now, if that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand quietly but unmistakably? Raise your hand and hold it up high over your head. If you're online, you can let your service host know. But just know that as a family with you, 
we celebrate that, we honor that. And our family tradition around here is as you put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together and tell you welcome home. Welcome home.